gamers, I'm Tori Dominguez-Peak. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It is a video game podcast. <laughs> it's a video game podcast. That, that's all It's a all video game podcast, yeah. That's I don't know. It's a, we usually record at night. We're recording in the morning today. I got a cup of coffee. Like, totally different vibe than normal. So You seem I'm a lot more tired. I don't know. Yeah, you, uh, you have a different energy. I woke up early to go grocery shopping today because, like, we try to grocery shop at off hours because I don't like going to the grocery store when it's really busy. Yeah. So I went to bed anxious. late and then I woke up at eight to go grocery shopping. So yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm not like a hundred percent awake yet. But I think talking about video games should kind of get the the cogs of my brain spinning. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite of this because I am a morning person and I have my coffee with me right now. So yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting interesting vibe. This is our church. Think about it. Yeah, you're right. Video games are my church. Uh, Final Final Fantasy Ten is my church. Honestly. Yeah, praise Yevin out here. Praise Yevin, um, honestly. <laughs> So a lot happened in the past week. Um, if we just want to start with all the Xbox leaks, that's really... Yeah, I, <laughs> we absolutely got to start there. We just got to delve into those. I feel like if you've been online and you follow video game news at all, this was really hard to miss. But the long and short of it is that a bunch of internal documents and emails between Xbox's CEO, Phil Spencer and a handful of other people got leaked this past week as part of the ongoing court drama with the FTC over the uh, acquisitions that they've been doing. And Xbox immediately was like, how could the FTC do this? And then the FTC was like, we're not the ones who submitted unredacted emails, guys. That was <laughs> all you. But there was, a, there was a lot of really interesting shit in these emails, wasn't there? <laughs> Yeah, there there was a lot. You know, one thing that kind of I mean, okay, well first of all we just, we just have to say it. We just have to say it. They wanted to buy Nintendo. Yes. Um and possibly still want to buy Nintendo too. See, this is interesting to me because I can understand why a gaming monolith would want to buy Nintendo. Uh, because they have the IP of like mm-hmm. Mario and like I'm sure Phil Spencer's little dream is to have Mario run on Game Pass, you know? Yeah. But like Nintendo does not strike me as the type of shop that would want to be acquired. Like, they're just, like, in their own lane, like, moisturized, thriving, yeah. doing their own thing. Yeah. I don't know what kind of offer you'd have to make Nintendo for them to be, like, yes. That's the thing. Yeah, it's, like, Nintendo is such a famously hard nut to crack as far as their IP goes. I mean, like, you you saw how long it took for them to even consider going into, like, the mobile gaming space. Yeah. And that... They were so far behind some of the other big companies putting stuff on mobile. And, like, sure, PlayStation games are more and more appearing on Steam. Microsoft's cloud thing can be played on PC and all this stuff. But, like, Nintendo doesn't really seem to have any interest in allowing you to play a Nintendo game anywhere other than a proprietary Nintendo console. Yeah. And the funny thing about this is, like, the strategy wasn't even to be like, hello, Nintendo, here is $2 billion. Would you like this to buy you? (laughs) It wasn't yes. even that. It was like one of the Microsoft board members was like, what if we just bought a shit ton of Nintendo stocks and became like a big shareholder and then use that to influence their decisions, which is quite the quite the backdoor method, I think. That's a you get like a, that's you a get choice. Like a Phil, Phil Spencer in like one of those fake mustache, big nose combos sitting <laughs> in a board meeting at Nintendo and being like, I think we should I think we should port Mario Odyssey to the Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and oh like the whole strategy of buying up 
all of the shares like i saw a couple reactions on social media from people that were like i understand that the games press is not fully versed in like how these like business dealings tend to go nor do we necessarily expect them to be but people were saying that that is like an immensely scummy thing to do in the world of business which like does not surprise me at all like and i saw some suggestions that like given that they are companies based in different countries there might be some like legally dubious elements of that as well yeah there's a lot like i'm not a lawyer and i don't work for bloomberg or like whatever so i don't really okay i work i do i work for the wall street journal so maybe i should understand some of this shit now but like uh yeah it just doesn't seem feasible to me what did seem feasible though was them being like we want to buy sega that kind of that kind of tracks like sega is the type of shop that's supposed to get bought and then atlas bought sega so it was like yeah someone else bought sega anyway i think this it really does just underscore to me though that like phil spencer calling buying nintendo something that would be a career defining moment for him it's like the xbox mo is not ship the best game ever it is not get the most xboxes in people's houses ever it is buy up the most amount of stuff so that we are the video game company capital v capital g and like i i get where that kind of mindset comes from from a business perspective but that feels really gross it feels you know? gross but it's this is also microsoft at their finest like as someone who oh my god yeah lives with someone who works for a tech company and my dad worked in it for many years like i know Microsoft only makes the money it makes because it has extensive government contracts and because it just buys fucking everything. Like, fuck, like, my dad has been like, oh, I would love if the company I started got bought by Microsoft because you just get, like, $20 million and get told to fuck off. Like, it's kind of a dream. Um, And that's the thing. So Microsoft really doesn't uh, invent a whole lot of things by itself. What it does is it finds young and promising startups who are inventing new shit and then they just are like here's 20 million dollars go away here's a hundred million dollars go away and that has been kind of how and why microsoft has been so powerful and ubiquitous i mean ubiquitous because of like government contracts and like there is Mm -hmm. a chromebook in every like well-funded public school um just about these days especially with covid um so like this is just like the this is just the continuation of like the Microsoft way in my opinion yeah. is like let's just buy up all the game studios so we become the game studio not because we well, necessarily have the best console but yeah it's kind of fascinating because it's like some video game companies treat themselves more like tech companies and some treat themselves more like toy companies and Xbox by nature of being a subsidiary of Microsoft is a tech company Nintendo is a toy company and both of those approaches come with the massive faults that they bring to the table you know like you've got nintendo over here playing playing a game in their own corner and sometimes completely missing the mark on things because they can't help but move past a mindset that they were in 30 years ago that worked then and but it i i don't know i just i cannot imagine a scenario where that ended up happening and not to mention too like uh i know you pointed out there were some comments from phil spencer that were like pretty cynical about like the current state of uh digital storefronts and the future of triple a games 
Yeah, it seems like, I mean, we knew digital was going to take over at some point, but Philip Spencer was like kind of down about it at the fact that it happened at the pace that it did. Like he was saying, like I'll just quote, he said in an email, specifically from AAA game publishers, starting from a position of strength, driven from free, I can't talk, driven from physical retail, have failed to create any real platform effect for themselves. Um, basically, like this, I this to me means like physical is not selling nearly as well as it used to. Um. And when it comes to digital storefronts, I mean, I think it's, if I had an Xbox, I would find it hard to want to purchase digital games if I just had Game Pass. Yeah, yeah. So then you I have think... this problem of his own creation where, like, is anyone buying yeah. games anymore? Like That's the thing, yeah. And you see it reflected in their business strategy, too, where it's, they find promising independent games and they give the studio a, a lump sum amount of money and they go sign this contract we're going to put your game on game pass and let it be exclusive on game pass for a little bit or release it on other consoles but like we're just going to go ahead and give you money up front but they're also doing the same for AAA stuff you know it's like halo whatever the new halo was launched day and date with game pass and that i in my mind that approach is directly uh juxtaposed with like square enix spending a quadrillion dollars making final fantasy 16 because they're treating it like making it like fast and the furious film and then acting shocked when they only make two billion dollars back and uh that's not enough to even out the books you know yeah the uh the fast and furiousification of the games industry <laughs> There was definitely some uh, some other interesting stuff in here, too. I know I particularly saw that the Fallout 3 and Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion rumors that have been big if true for a hot second yeah. are pretty much confirmed now. Like, yeah, those no are longer something big if true, just true. It's just true now. <laughs> yeah, it's just true. Um, and that Xbox is eyeing 2028 for their next next-gen console and eyeing, like, a mid mid-generation update console for their current things that I think based on the stuff I read is going to be like cylindrical or something I think it's going to look oh, like wow. a fucking like Amazon Echo I guess yeah that's yeah so yeah just uh different shapes of PC towers I guess uh basically yeah so would that be like an Xbox Series S like pro kind of thing I guess, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? There's an episode of Drake and Josh where uh, they were riffing off of the, of the GameCube. Like, Josh had a, a game sphere. <laughs> it looked yeah. like a CD player yeah. that was shaped like an orb. And he was, like, playing on the game sphere to take his mind off of, like, breaking up with this girl from his chemistry class named Mindy. Um, and Drake was like, get off the game sphere! Um, and so I just think Microsoft is like one next gen update away from like literally making the game sphere. Yeah. Uh, the game. Well, cylinder. I really like to, um, I want to shout out and I'll, we can drop the link for this in the description too. It's a opinion piece that ran in inverse from a one time press start guest and girl mode podcast host Willa Rowe, where she writes that the the joy of console design has been drained by these companies that are just striving to make something that looks like it will fit in right next to your pc tower 
and like i i really i really feel that you know like i want to i'm going to quote directly here from willa in this opinion she writes uh and then there's the absence of color the matte black for xbox and matte white that will never be clean again after unboxing for sony Growing up, Very I true. always had the latest Nintendo handheld, like my purple Game Boy Color or shiny red Nintendo DS. It was always an important choice to be made that would distinguish my console from my friends, but there were always enough colors that none of us had the same one. And that's like, that's so real. It's like, because Nintendo no, is still is. doing this, you know, with the yes, Joy-Cons I, and shit. Yes. And this is in like the all the OLED, like I have the Zelda theme OLED console and how colorful the Switch lights are. This is the one thing that would make me really sad about a potential Nintendo acquisition is like they would yeah. just they would just have matte black orbs. Like that's all we're, that's all game consoles will be. Yeah. Um and that again comes from the spirit of them being a toy company, not a tech company. Um but it, it's just that's just one of those things. That's that's why I love that like Xbox is just gonna make like a freaking cell tower, right? Or a PC tower for its next console. And Nintendo's going to be like, how about this bright green hexagon that's magnetic? Exactly, yeah. And I'll be like, no, fuck I think yes. about like, like a couple months ago when I saw Nathaniel, he had just gotten his OLED and he was showing it to me and he had like the orange and purple, or I guess they're technically scarlet and violet. Uh, oh, yeah, Pokemon the Pokemon. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, those are so pretty. I've never seen those. Like, yeah. I was blown away. It's the dumb shit like that that it's like, it sparks like some kind of like kitty thing. Childish. Yeah. 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 It's it's like a, a childish uh, like beauty. Yeah. Um, and I think it's okay for these things to be childish. You know, it's like they don't have yeah. to. They don't have to be like uber, uber uh, adult. They don't have to look like a PC tower for it to be something that like there can be both adult games and kid games on. It's like you can I I hate that. I hate that thing where it's like the for for it to be taken seriously as a medium. It has to it can't look like a GameCube. It can't be like it can't have a little lunchbox handle. It has to look like a PC tower. And it's it's just lame. I think that's lame. I do think they might be like one, one iteration away from accidentally remaking the GameCube, which would be hilarious. That would be very funny. Yes, GameCube like two. Yeah, GameCube two. <laughs> um, so it's fall, y'all. Um, I know yeah. it's not fall for you, probably. It is not. It is not. I uh, mean, it has been. Uh, last night it was in the seventies when the sun went down, which is like probably a like closer to fall than i thought i was gonna get until yeah. november but yeah it's uh it's technically I, yeah. fall as well I took a walk this morning it was 52 i was like wow this is this is beautiful i'm wearing Bro, this sweater fuck? i'm wearing this yeah like just for context noah's wearing a tank top right now <laughs> <laughs> i'm wearing a tank top and the ac is on in my house and it yeah. is my my weather app says that the high today is 91 so <laughs> yeah god fucking a um, and I was just thinking about like cozy fall games because we, I, Final Fantasy X is a summer game. It's a pool game. You're playing pool soccer. You're doing uh, strange beach activities. Uh, and now we're about to enter fall. And I was thinking about fall games besides like the obvious, like, okay, Stardew Valley, like we all know that's a fall game. Like what, what games kind of evoke fall to you? So... When I saw this on the dock, the first thing that came to mind is uh, Twilight Town in Kingdom Hearts 2, which I think is technically 
suppose Twilight Town is the the first city town in Kingdom Hearts Two, where you're playing as Roxas and you're like doing chores with your friends and oh, stuff. Oh yeah. I think it's supposed to technically evoke more of like a summer feel because it's supposed to be like having a summer job before your friends who go to school out of town go back and then like going on a summer trip and spending all your savings on ice cream and shit like that. But the that whole chunk of that game is tinged in this like beautiful orange mm. and everything just looks so nice. And I guess like Traverse Town from Kingdom Hearts 1 and the other ones too. Like yeah. some of those... I think JRPG towns have a tendency to have, like, uh, very cozy, nice atmospheres. And some of those ones from Kingdom Hearts are some of the ones that come to mind for me. Because it's got, like, the soft, jazzy-sounding music and, like, the the houses that have, like, the lantern lights outside of them. Like, I just want to I wanna make a cup of tea and live there. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, like... Zelda games are kind of fall to me. Not all of them. Mm. Like, okay. Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild read to me as like spring, summer. Yeah. Maybe it's because when they came out, but because it's like a lot of like green grass and like open fields. I would say like The Wind Waker too. Very beachy, very summery. Yeah, true. Yeah. But like Twilight, Majora's, and Ocarina mm. are like, those are fall games to me. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think, um, I know you haven't played this one, but the Minish Cap too. Like in the Minish Cap, you spend a lot of time in forests and like among leaves and that. And some of those you spend the size of a leaf as well. But like, I think uh, that's another one that is very like, I don't know. Fall is, fall is kind of like an untapped, an untapped well for some games, I feel like. You get like yeah. the beachy area and you get the ice area. Desert and the area. lava, desert. Yeah, but I feel like, there's um, there's only like a handful of things I can think of in like big game. You know, like that one Mario Kart track. It's like Maple Treeway. I think. It's oh my called. god, I love that one. Mm, I want to live there. I want to like. I want to yeah. ha- live in a little birdhouse in that big tree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, that's that's a vibe. Maple Treeway Mario Kart course is the epitome of video game fall. Um, we need more games that capture the spirit of the uh the sleepy time tea celestial seasonings bear. Yeah, I need to know the Sleepy Time Tea Bears, like, 5 by 5 game grid. <laughs> um, you've been seeing that on Twitter? I like, have been seeing these on Twitter, yeah. I yeah, almost so, sent the link to you and Nathaniel the other day and said, like, hey, we should do this. <laughs> no, I think we should. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's... I was looking at Jess Howard's uh, gaming grid, and hers is interesting because she, like, made it harder for herself than she needed it to be because she was like, I'm not going to include more than one game per series, which is hard for her because she's, like, a big Final Fantasy head. She only let herself pick one. Yeah, I know. Um, So that's an extra challenge. Um, So her games are as listed. She had... Final Fantasy VII, Persona 4 Golden, Mass Effect 3, Hades, Bloodborne, Overwatch, Metal Gear Solid 2, Elden Ring, Drifter, Hellblade. Um, wow, okay. Interesting choice there. Yeah. Metroid Prime, Twilight Princess, The Sims 2, Fire Emblem Three Houses, Pentiment, Shadow of the Colossus, Fable 2. Kingdom Hearts 2, Assassin's Creed 2, Alan Wake. Looks like the remastered Alan Wake. Um, Bioshock, Stardew Valley, Soul Calibur. I don't know what Soul Calibur this is. Soul Calibur 2. Okay. Yes. 
Dragon Age Inquisition, Baldur's Gate 3. Wow. Is Soul Calibur 2 the one that had Link in it? If you had yeah, the GameCube. That was that one. Okay, okay, yeah, that yeah. one rips. Yeah, confirmed. Yeah, it was, it was Link in the GameCube and then like Spawn from Spawn <laughs> Comics on the Xbox. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's not the Yoda one. We've talked about that one. Not the Yoda um, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a this is a good list. I don't know if I could do the only one per series thing. And twenty five is a lot of games. Yeah, but That's I don't a know. Lot. We'll we'll have to make, write in if you want us to do this. So. Yeah, <laughs> send us write send in. us an email with your five by five. <laughs> yeah, I I need to. Yeah, we should put this in the show notes just to give context. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah. Damn, that's tough. I feel like. Uh, of, only one Star those, Wars game for Grid for Only one no Star one. Wars game, yeah. I feel like of those series, though, like the Final Fantasies and the Metal Gears and the Personas, like Persona 4, FF7, and MGS2 are like really good picks of those. Those are like top-tier picks in my mind. Yeah, I mm. would have picked 4, Persona 4, and Final Fantasy 7. Mm-hmm. Um, Zelda is harder. Yeah, that's true. Picking only one, that is difficult. So many of those games for me are tinged by this nostalgia that's like I have the recency bias on stuff like Tears of the Kingdom, but then I have like the nostalgia bias on things like The Wind Waker. And I'm like, I don't know if I played The Wind Waker now today as like an adult, it would hit exactly the same as it did as a kid. You know, Jesse replayed it last year. He emulated it on the Steam Deck and he really Mm -hmm. loved it still. He had a great time. So apparently Wind Waker still slaps. Huh. That's good to know. Yeah. Speaking of fall games, I, I do think, yeah, Ocarina of Time is a fall game. Mm-hmm. There's no fall imagery, but it's a fall game. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm true. due for another run of that. I, I do tend to play those games when I feel down. Don't know if I should revisit it. Because uh, I, I did mm. replay Majora's Mask earlier this year. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. You did. You did. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe Minish Cap is the answer for me for wanting a sort of nostalgic game that could, that's, yeah, I that's think... fall coded. I think it would capture, I mean, you would get enough of the nostalgia there, even having not played it, just given, like, I don't know, that era of Nintendo games, I know for us, since it was the stuff that was coming out when we were kids, is, like, that GameCube, Game Boy Advance era is, like, very nostalgic for me, even if I've never played the game. I'm thinking, uh, before we move on, and this isn't even really related to this specific topic, but since you mentioned Persona 4, um, what do you think, like... Do you think we're going to get a Persona 4 remake in the style of Persona Reload. 3 Reload? Yeah. I don't, I mean, could I see Atlas doing that? Yes. But like, what, mm-hmm. I feel like 1 and 2, you know that meme where the kid's being lifted out of the pool and there's like the skeleton at the bottom of the pool? Yeah. That's yeah. like Persona 3 and 4. And then the skeleton at the bottom of the pool is like old Shimigami Tensei games and like Persona 1 and 2. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, totally right there. I, lo- I Persona One and Two are is truly for like the little freaks. Like it, that's uh, that's a fact. Like there's a whole like one of the opening scenes of that game is that you're fighting zombies in a hospital. Whoa. Whoa. With your with your personas, um, which is just like that's some fun shit. It's like it's it's great. Um, I also, like you know, you know, if Atlas remade Persona Four in the style of Reload, they would like do the vanilla version and not golden. <laughs> Oh my god! I I oh my god! I can't believe they're fucking doing that with Persona yeah. Three. It looks gorgeous. Every, I every time I see yeah. every time I see a trailer of Persona Three, I'm like, wow, amazing, yeah. beautiful. They even redid the soundtrack. Like it looks so fucking good. But then I'm like, mm, like yeah. I was watching the uh, 
I know that there was like a playable demo of it at one of the recent game shows. I don't know if it was Gamescom or one of the other ones, but like there was a playable demo for people who attended and it was like one was just like some Tartarus dungeon crawling and the other one was like one of the uh, full moon activities. I think it was like the first one in the game on the train car and I one of the things that they were saying in the Nintendo Life video I watched was that like it's really cool the way it melds the aesthetics of Persona 5 that flashy bright colorful like uh very bright red with the black and the white with this like more melancholic blue that you associate with Persona 3 so it's like it's just as flashy but it doesn't betray the the underlying like uh melancholy that is so special about persona 3 but i i still i still really don't think that this is for me like i i guess i'm glad that it's being made maybe but i just don't think it's for me yeah i think i will probably get it for like just to have it i will say the collector's edition is fucking bonkers because i was tempted to get like a collector's edition of this but the collector's edition of this is like 350 dollars um, and it comes with like an Igus anime figurine and like an art book, oh, and that's basically okay. it. And I'm like, it's either an Igus figurine or Akihiko's boxing gloves. What? Um, <laughs> I'm looking at the three hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, I was just like, oh, and bro. then it comes, it comes loaded up with the P5 costumes, so you can dress uh, your main character up like a Joker and shit. Yeah, it's just not worth it. That's another thing I want to delve into is, like, I don't understand the pricing of collector's editions. Like, Oh, me either. Yeah, me either. I have a collector's edition of Tears of the Kingdom, and it was, like, 120 That is the max I am willing to pay for a game ever. Like, that is my cap, and I only did it because it's Zelda. But when games have, like, a 350 collector's edition, I'm like, how, how do they determine these prices? It does not make sense to me. They're so across the board. Whereas, like, a regular game is, like, 60 to 70 these days and, like, 60 to $70. And that's something we've all kind of, like, agreed on as consumers or have, like, a chosen to accept guess, as yeah. consumers. Yeah. But collector's editions are truly, like, the Wild West to me. And that some of them are just, like, here's a steel book, And some of them are, like, here's a body pillow of Igis or whatever. Like, <laughs> pay up $300. Have fun. I do like that the P3 collector's edition, which for listener context is 200 US dollars, does come with the soundtrack, which like I, okay. I, I miss the days when like RPGs would occasionally come with their soundtracks on a CD, yeah. like P4 on the PS2, just like the yeah. regular old version of that came loaded with that. And I remember when I bought a used copy of it, I like was not expecting that at all. I just popped it open and was like whoa i didn't expect this and just loaded it onto like my phone mp3 player <laughs> yeah my brother's ps2 copy of uh vanilla persona 4 has the cd with it and it feels a little bit like a relic um and it's funny because we got that like in 2012 on amazon which was like before the resale market for ps2 games got bonkers because it was only like one or two generations behind and so he got that game for like 30 bucks on amazon mm-hmm Damn. So, yeah, it is interesting the way collector's editions are marketed. So you have a Star Wars alert. Yes, I want to hit you. I want to hit you with a Star Wars watch. Uh, whoever's editing, add in like a lightsaber, like a like a lightsaber lighting up sound effect. Star Wars watch. 
So that should be our new sound effect from now on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Quantic Dreams Star Wars game, Star Wars Eclipse, the game that was famously showed off at the Game Awards a year or two ago, and then it came out that they had no game, and that was basically just like a cinematic trailer to try and convince people to come to Quantic Dream to work on said game. Oh my god. <laughs> so, the latest on Quantic Dream's Star Wars Eclipse, which is never going to release. They say, uh, I'm reading from a Kotaku article here from Zach Sweezen. This was in Kotaku a few days ago. It says, da 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 no matter what happens, this Star Wars story moves forward. So they're talking about how uh, some of the folks who are working on this game at Quantic Dream say that there's no game over state. Anyone can die. Anything can happen. And the story sort of continues so that those signatures are still there. So I, part of me is like, yeah, this makes sense for them to come out and say because Baldur's Gate 3 is immensely popular and like the the tabletop RPGification of video games is like something people are really into right now. But like for for a series that is so protective of how its IP is utilized and how pre-existing characters can be handled as Star Wars, for them to be like, yeah, whatever, kill anybody, kill Jabba the Hutt, who cares? What what who, yeah. what whatever, no game over. I find that very hard to believe. I like, I'm sure you can kill, like, JP27, the cool protocol droid who you meet at the beginning of the game who's not in any future comic books. But glup like, shido, yeah. Yeah, but, like, any other glup shido you meet who's, like, in a book or anything, like, there's... I, I'm imagining they're gonna have to do, like, the MGS3 thing where, like, if you kill a character who's in a future game, you immediately get a game over, and it's, like, time paradox. You can't kill Ocelot. He's in, like, six more of these games. Yeah. <laughs> Um, also, this game is never coming out. So, like, <laughs> I, I'm happy to see fun little developer updates, but I I That's... remain steadfast. This game will never yeah. release. Be- because I remember the last time I talked about the ratio of Star Wars games that come out versus cancellation. It was, like, 50%. <laughs> it so, was pretty bad. Yeah, so you're flipping the coin on this one. You're like, this is going to be the one the one that doesn't make it. This one's not coming out. I'm, I'm pretty certain this one is not coming out. Like... Do I think conceptually a narrative-driven game that is set, like, long before the events of the main series, but not so long that it's, like, Knights of the Old Republic era is, like, cool? Yeah, I think that sounds cool. But, like, I just, I don't trust them to actually release a product here. Like, it just sounds, the fact that they had to make a statement where they were like, we plan to release this game sometime in the next eight years. I'm like, dog, this is not, this ain't happening. This ain't (laughs) They should have, like... You know, like sports betting, they should have like DraftKings, but for like you betting money on whether or not a given Star Wars title will actually come out. That would be pretty fun. Yeah, that would be pretty yeah. fun. That'd be, that'd be pretty um, I want to throw another little Star Wars alert in here too. This is a slightly less video game centric one, but I just saw this when I was like trawling the news about Eclipse and I had to share. Um, <clears throat> famously, and this might come as a shock to non-Star Wars fans, they're... In Star Wars, picture this in your mind's eye. It is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, twink Luke Skywalker and his old man friend Ben Kenobi walk into a bar, and they're going to find somebody with a ship who can take them to Alderaan so they can go find and save Princess Leia 
or whatever. I forget the exact passage of events there. And they walk in, and there's this really fun, jazzy music playing in the cantina. There's, like, a bunch of aliens. There's those guys with the big heads ripping it on, like, the fake space oboe and that kind of shit. Canonically, as per novels that came out in the 1980s, there is no such thing as jazz in the Star Wars universe. There is jizz, and the people who play jizz <laughs> no. are jizz whalers. So, apparently, there is also something called jats, as per books from the 1980s. But jizz has kind of, uh, this article in the AV Club that I'll put in the description referred to it as a shibboleth among Star Wars fans, which I think is very funny. It's like, it's just this this touchstone that we all come back to, and we're like, yes, Max Rebo is a jizz whaler, and we can always come back to that and just kind of like smile fondly. Well, they've been doing these series of books to mark the uh, 40th anniversary of each of the original trilogy movies called From a Certain Point of View. And the whole shtick is that it's a series of short stories that follow characters who were either on screen but less important or who were like in the background or that kind of thing. So you'll get like a... In the, the uh, New Hope, from a certain point of view, you get, like, a short story from the perspective of the Jawa who sold the droids to Luke's uncle and that kind I of stuff. The, so it's, I want the Jar Jar Binks perspective on the prequels. Dude, I can't wait until the Phantom Menace one of these. It's going to go so fucking hard. It's going to be just, like, uh, people people uh, balancing checkbooks for 30 pages. <laughs> yeah. Um, so whenever it goes on in the Senate while Anakin is pod racing, <laughs> so apparently in one of the short stories in the latest A Certain Point of View book, it follows Max Rebo, the little blue elephant keyboard player who's in uh, Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. And he is refer he refers to jazz music in that one as jats, which has led Star Wars fans to believe that since jizz and jizz whalers have not technically been mentioned in any Disney canonical material yet, they might be trying to retcon away jizz and take this from us. They this, this is this what, is they, what they took for you. I know to the local mob has canceled jizz. <laughs> I I love the AV article has a, a quote that says, "But now we have to ask: Is our way of life being threatened? Is jizz Literally. music under attack?" This is so true. I should have led with the woke mob. The woke mob is trying to take this from us. They want to take jizz from us. We used to can't. be a real country. Yeah. <laughs> I... So it remains to be seen. There could, I'm, I'm sure there will be a limited run comic book series that follows Max Rebo at some point, and maybe he'll talk about how much he loves jizz. But like in the meantime, we uh, this is potentially under attack, and I want to alert everybody to this so that we can we Thank can make you so our much uh, for this information. the woke mob cannot take jizz from us T-shirts, which we'll make and sell on our website. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely all right is that is that all do you want to get into what we've been playing yeah i think now is a i think now is a good time eddie just to uh segue in do you want to start or yeah so i i've been really in the trenches y'all i uh i was i got stuck in final fantasy 10 to a point where like no one had to stop playing <laughs> to like give me some time i was pulling I, ahead a little bit yeah yeah so I got stuck in the part of the game where you were on an airship, like traveling through time, and uh, you are, it's kind of like a giant boat in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you pop up through the roof because you get alerted that there's like a monster. And you go onto the roof and it's this fucking dragon named Evray. Uh, Evray fucking sucks. 
Um, yes. Evray breathes poison breath that wipes your whole party. Uh, this boss fight does have a fun mechanic of like pulling the ship away from the dragon and pulling it closer to the dragon, which is an interesting dynamic. Um, I basically I was not leveled enough for Evray. So I had to grind on like random encounters on the ship for like two days. Oh God. It's bleak, man. It's bleak. That sounds horrible. And so what I did, I, I grinded everyone until I got um God, I really want to call him Calamari. That's not his name. Uh Calamari. The oh, furry the furry uh, guy. The furry guy. Kamari. 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 Calamari. Jesus. Calamari, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my resident furry, um, uh, who talks like a caveman. Uh, he was, I, I got, I grinded everyone to the point where he got this, uh, overdrive, like limit break move called self-destruct, which is exactly what it sounds like. Basically he kills himself and explodes and that does like 6,000 damage. Um, and so what I did was once you get to like the third phase of the fight, which is when you have like a less than a third of health, less health, health, health left on every, uh, he starts doing some crazy shit. He starts like doing this move called swooping scythe and he does like haste. So he does like several different moves on you in a row without you getting a break. And so basically what I did was Evray had like 5,000 health left. Everyone is like on the verge of death. And I just, I, I have been like quietly putting Kamari out in the background just for him to like receive hits. Cause it's, his attacks are honestly not that great. He kind of sucks. Yeah, um, his magic kind of sucks. His physical yeah. attacks kind of suck. Like I don't know what the point of him is, but the point of him is is that he's a fucking bomb. Okay, that's yeah. that's the point of him. And I some of his other overdrives go really hard too. Yeah, like, his, you... that's the thing. His his overdrives go hard. His normal attacks don't. So yeah. I just have him posted as like the third person in my party, just to like to take damage constantly, so that I fill up his gauge. And so I got him to the point where he, like. Every has like 5,000 HP left. Everyone is dead or almost dead. And I was just like, Kamari, do your thing. Do your thing. Blow your ass up. Like, get out here. And he did. Um, and that killed Every. For now. And then, <laughs> a funny thing happens in this game. Where uh, you you defeat Every And you land in like a town. Because you're, you're trying to crash Yuna's wedding, right? Um, and... You are at the bottom of a staircase in this town where Yuna and uh, Seymour's wedding ceremony is being performed. And you have to walk up a very long staircase. And during that staircase, you have like six different random encounters with like surprisingly powerful enemies. Um, And there is no save point. They just expect you to heal. Yeah, they just throw you straight in there. I just thought I was just going to walk into another cutscene. Um, and that's not what happened. And I walked into a random encounter battle where a guy had a flamethrower and just like killed my entire party. Yeah. Which meant I had to face every a second or another time. I think it's really hard to gauge sometimes because some games, when you clear a boss fight, will auto heal you and some games will not. And it's really easy to forget sometimes that you need to check your your HP after you get that sigh of relief when you beat a really hard boss. So yeah, I had the exact same problem. I must have just had like a teeny tiny bit more health and managed to tank that first battle, but I came dangerously close. Yeah, it, it, it was, it made me have an appreciation for 
Final Fantasy 16 actually. Because in Final Fantasy 16, when you die in a boss fight, you respawn full health at whatever was the stage you were facing that boss at. So if you oh, wow. had gotten the boss down to like 1000 HP and you were like in its final berserk stage, when mm-hmm. you came back, you were full health, full everything, just at that final stage. Wow, that's nice. Which yeah. is really nice. Um, and with this one, it was like, you better work, bitch, and then you better heal up because there's no saves after this for a while. Um, but I finally got through that. It took me like a week. Um, got past that scene, got through the Bavel Temple, which is a very... These temples are like the most interesting thing to me about this game because they're sort of like trying to be a Zelda dungeon. You know what I mean? You're like pushing blocks and there's a there's one yeah. temple where there's like a bunch of ice. And there's all and, the orb puzzles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, what, how do you feel about like, them? I wanted to ask I, you about this because, like, most most of the puzzle solving in these temples that you have to go to revolves around there are these holes in the wall that can hold an orb, and you have to pick up orbs that basically function as keys and put them in the holes that function as locks, and like find the corresponding ones to create certain effects that allow you to traverse through. Like, where are you at on these temples? I kind of like them. They're kind of like a nice break in between battles. I think the puzzles are kind of silly and crude, but especially the Bavel Temple, you're just like on a conveyor belt trying to move different directions on conveyor belts. And it requires like, like precise timing hitting buttons, which is something that the game had never asked for you <laughs> to yeah, do at any other point. I, I'm like, I just feel like I'm getting like shipped around like groceries for some mm-hmm. reason. Like, what are we doing here? Just like, I'm just a conveyor belt delivery boy for orbs. Yeah, um, so that wasn't that wasn't my favorite, but I I like what they're trying here. It's interesting to me when when Final Fantasy tries to do these like sort of like puzzly dungeon crawling things. That's not really like how I think about the series. Yeah, it also kind of shows. I don't know. I I am not a huge fan of these temple puzzles. I find them to be like kind of excruciating, and I think for me it kind of reveals that the game is a little clunkier than it it seems at times because it's like you have you have one verb outside of battling and that is press the x button to interact with things and they understandably had to build puzzles around doing that kind of thing so it is exclusively walk around interact pick a thing up walk around to a different spot press x to put that thing down and you know sometimes they get a little more interesting like you said you push a block and you get it on the right spot or you you press X to decide what direction you're going to go on a moving platform and that kind of thing. But it's it's kind of funny to me because it's like the battle system to me feels like probably the tightest of any battle system in a Final Fantasy game. Like I really, really, really like it. And especially since I'm not crazy about the active time battle system, like I really like how methodical ff10's battle system is and then they do you like the turn puzzles. order thingy like that kind of I, tripped me up at first i like it a lot i it i'm still honestly as far as we are into this game i'm still kind of wrapping my head around like paying attention to it because i'm not i don't naturally pay attention to that kind of thing unless it's like right in my face but i really like the way it's like uh if you've got kamari out but then you switch kamari with riku a character who's got a higher agility stat it like shakes up the turn order gives you more you might get a few more before the enemy hits yeah i I really like that a lot yeah it it is interesting it definitely makes the turn-based combat feel a little bit like a puzzle which is what i like about jrpgs the battles feel 
like puzzles. So you're making a lot of decisions, and I like that. Uh, because when I do action RPGs, like when I do Elden Ring or Kingdom Hearts, like I, I definitely do have a... I do like to default into like brainless button mash mode as much as I can afford to. Button mash, dodge roll, uh, head empty. Um, so JRPGs make me think. Um, but that's pretty much all I've been playing in terms of games. Uh, in terms of other like media consumption, uh, after six months of watching, I did take a month break. I finally finished Mad Men. Um, it's a good, yeah, I... I like the way it ended. Like, Magnet has a notorious seventh season that everyone says is terrible and that the ending is terrible, but I liked it. Okay. Um, Why does everybody hate it so much? I don't know. I think one of the big complaints is that it's a show that's very cynical. Like, it's very cynical about marriage. It's very cynical about hope. It's very cynical. Like, it's like, uh, ah, you know, like, sure, he's happy being married to this lady now, but he's going to cheat on her in the next episode. Like, don't, like... Batman is all like waiting for the other shoe to drop, um, but the ending is like, oh, this guy went on a yoga retreat, had a great time, made a, an ad for Coca Cola that succeeded, and this this lady, he was a workaholic, has a nice boyfriend now, and this guy who's been divorced three times is finally dating a woman his age, and like they're all happy, um, and yeah, it's it's a little ridiculous. But I kind of like it. And not everyone gets a happy ending. I mean, Don Draper's ex-wife dies of cancer. Like, that's oh. not a happy ending. Yeah, um, And her daughter has to, like, leave school to take care of her. And, like, the last frame that you see is kind of gut-wrenching. Uh, because Sally is, like, 16. And she's, like, parenting her two younger siblings. And she's God. washing dishes with the exact same gloves her mom used to wash dishes and she's blonde like her mom too there's a lot of like she's becoming her mother and then you look behind her and betty is there and she is like sunken in she has lost weight because of cancer and she's Mm. sitting at the kitchen table and she's smoking and it's like that is how sally and betty end you know like that that's sad (laughs) that's really fucking sad um so it's like I like the way it ended. It kind of felt like, uh, I really don't like watching shows that are super long. They tend to like lose my attention, but this one kept me going. Cause I really, one of the two things that interested me is like, what happens to Donald Draper's children? Like what happens to Sally and like, what happens to the company on like a fundamental level? And what happens to the company is that it gets absorbed by a bigger company. Oh, That's what happens. Okay. Well. Like you can have, you can have the scrappiest, most innovative agency and at some point, some giant monolith will just absorb you. They got yeah. they got Microsofted. Damn. Um, yeah, and it's like damn. Uh, they tried to make this company work for like ten years of like being the scrappy agency and getting all these smaller contracts, and they were like, one day we'll get Coca Cola, and they don't. They just end up working for the people that do Coca Cola. Um, so it. I liked it. I think it's a realistic ending as like gut wrenching as it is. Um, and I, I was just kind of toying with this. I'm like, this kind of gives you the same feeling that a lot of animes do with their endings and how long the arcs can be and like things like that. And I was just kind of joking to Jesse. I was like, Mad Men is a shonen. Um, <laughs> which like, speaking of shonens, 
I guess I'm gonna just start watching One Piece more regularly. Uh, let's go. Yeah, let's go. It's it's a good it's a good background show. Like I have nothing else to do. Let's just like watch one episode of One Piece, mm-hmm. and maybe in like 20 years I'll be caught up, and that's fine. <laughs> and yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. What about nice. you? Um, well, since I'm taking a break from Final Fantasy X to let you catch up with me, I actually played some other stuff. So I like I got some games under my belt this week. Um, first thing was I played the surprisingly lengthy demo for the new Dragon Quest Monsters game. This was shown off at a Nintendo Direct a few ago. This is uh, this is one of Square Enix's like mid-budget Switch exclusive games that they're gonna like fart out into the world and then be like. <laughs> We, we barely marketed it. Why is nobody buying any of our games that aren't Final Fantasy XVI? Um, this is part of the long-running Dragon Quest Monsters subseries. So you've got the Dragon Quest games, and in the same way that, like, as Persona is to Shin Megami Tensei, there is Dragon Quest Monsters to Dragon Quest. Yeah, I was going to ask about, like, what the difference is between these two, like, series within the same IP. The main difference is that these are generally smaller games and that okay. they focus on exclusively on monster collecting. So whereas in a normal Dragon Quest game, um, this this feature of monster collecting actually comes from one of the SNES games where you could have your party of your people who you get over the course of the game, but you could also have like some monsters you pick up throughout the game. And you could have like a big slime in your party alongside your other dudes. But... They ended up making this spin-off series where, for whatever reason, you have your one human character, and they're generally not a party member, and then you have your whole slate of monsters who you convince to join you. And like Shin Megami Tensei, you can fuse them to create new monsters, and they have their growth trees, and then when you fuse them, they have a whole new growth tree as a new monster. This one is kind of fun because, and Dragon Quest likes to do this sometimes, they'll do a spin-off series that, like, takes place in the setting of another mainline dragon quest game so like for instance the dragon quest builders games the ones that are like quasi minecraft those actually take place in like the same setting as the first three dragon quest games so it's like it's an it's a neat way of like transposing a setting that is like potentially familiar to the player and allowing you to explore it in a different way so dragon quest monsters whatever number this one is it's called the dark prince takes place in the world of dragon quest 4 which is an snes and ds game that i've played a pretty hefty chunk of and you play as the main antagonist from dragon quest 4 who is like this sephiroth looking sexy silver haired (laughs) demon prince and the conceit is that you want to kill your evil demon dad and destroy him and yeah and become like demon king and demon is like secret stone (laughs) secret stone demon king yeah demon demon in this game appears to not really be uh it's more of a neutral term it's like oh yeah you're just you're a demon you know you're a demon that doesn't that's not necessarily a character judgment it's just that like yeah you're a demon so you live in this like just, just a type of guy you live in this like idyllic small town with these like normal ass looking people and then you're like the most shonen anime antagonist looking motherfucker alive. You look I like love that. You look like you're a member of like uh, of an evil clan from Naruto with your like red headband and bright silver hair and bright red outfit. 
but it's going to be really hard for you to kill your evil demon dad because there is a curse put upon you where you cannot physically harm monsters. So if you get attacked by a slime, you can't kick it or stab it with a sword. You have to you you determine that you can order other monsters around to do this for you. And so this begins your Pokemon quest to collect monsters and win battles in the Colosseum. And like the the main loop appears to be like doing quests out in the world. And then once you've got strong monsters, you go to the Colosseum and you fight three rounds against other monster tamers in an effort to get like what is functionally the next gym badge and move up the ranks of the different Colosseums. And that's when you get to fight like these goofy themed basically like wrestlers who have their little monster teams. But the the shtick here is that like the game encourages and is pretty much built around you like giving your monsters strategies. So like if your monster has a bunch of like stat moves, you can just give it the strategy support the team and it will focus on buffing defense or buffing attack or healing if it needs to. And then you can tell the other ones who have lots of physical stuff like go all out, beat the shit out of them. And you just press the fight button and you let them figure it out. And like you can go through and give individual orders to each of the monsters, but it's kind of miserable doing it and it's a lot more fun to just kind of put the auto battle on and let them figure it out. And I gotta say, I had a lot of fun with this. The demo was really long. It was like a really nice slice of the beginning of the game. Um, it definitely feels like a budget title. It does not look near as pretty as Dragon Quest XI, which is another game that runs beautifully on the Switch and came out like five years ago. But, and it like the frame rate chugs a little bit. The grass looks kind of crunchy. It looked better when I put it on my TV than when I was playing it in handheld. And like... I'm kind of torn because part of me is like, ugh, it's a budget title, and that's kind of frustrating. Like, why is this Switch only? It would, by default, look prettier if they put it on PlayStation or just, like, let it sit in the oven for 10 more minutes. But also, like, I we talk a lot about how, like, we kind of want there to be budget titles, you know? It's like there doesn't necessarily yeah. need to be this, like, Double A, graphical... not triple A. Exactly. Granted, okay, my problem well, there... sometimes, sometimes it, shit does look bad on the Switch, though. Like, Mortal yes. Kombat 1... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Granted, I think it loses some of the luster as a budget title when you realize that it's going to retail for $60. Um, do I think it's going to stay $60 forever? Absolutely not. But, like, it's a little hard for me to kind of uh, be ready to drop $60 on this game knowing that, like, it looks worse, will be shorter, and I won't get as quality of a product as I would for other $60 games. So that's definitely kind of tough. But, like, the demo progress does carry on to the main game, and it looks like that, like, the main story of this is going to go directly into giving context for, like, the villain in another Dragon Quest game, which is really cool. Like, I like that a lot. Um, I would say if you if you want to play, like, a pretty meaty demo with some monster-catching elements, uh, check this one out. It's very fun, and it's a demo. It's literally free. I also wanted, like, I kind of wanted, like, a brain-off game, like, less a, less a brain-off show and more a brain-off game that I could just, like, play and have a good time. So I popped out my copy of We Love Katamari for the PlayStation 2. This one was like just recently ported to the newer consoles too because they had HD ported Katamari Damashi, the first game, and this is the sequel, which they've now put. Um, have you played any of the other Katamari games? Like what's your, I know you are aware of them, but like what's your history with these games? I have never played them. Jesse has played them and enjoys gotcha. them. Uh, he has like the re-roll Katamari okay. 
uh, re-roll for the Switch. Um, but I've never played them. I've, I do like watching them. There's something like fun and kind of soothing about watching like a pile of objects get larger. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ASMR-y. I, I am it tickles ASMR-y, the brain, for Katamari. Yeah. So the plot of the first game, Katamari Damashi, is that the the king of all cosmos, who is just like this really, really big dude with a huge fucking hog, lives in space and and when I say hog, I mean like he wears really tight leggings in the game and like you can you see his whole package down there. Like you know what's up. Um he throws a really raucous party with a bunch of his friends and when they get really drunk on like space beer or whatever, they go so crazy that they destroy all of the stars in the night sky. So he recruits you his son, the prince of all cosmos, who is this teeny tiny microscopic ant-sized little green guy to roll up these balls, the Katamari balls, full of all kinds of random crap that you find on Earth and use those Katamaris that he will then magically transform back into stars. So that's the plot of Katamari Damashi. It's all surrounding fixing the night sky. Uh, you get like puzzles that are like, uh-oh, we got to make Ursa major go find the biggest bear you can find and that kind of stuff. And it's it's such a cute game. I love Katamari Damashi so, so much. Um, I picked up We Love Katamari years and years ago and I never really played that much of it because like Katamari Damashi is like a surprisingly difficult game. Like w- the deeper you get into it, if you really want to get like good scores at the end of your levels, like it requires you to really get good at the mechanics of it. Um, but We Love Katamari, the conceit of this is that Everybody in the world is so thankful that you replaced all of the stars in the night sky. They know who the king of all cosmos is. They love him so much. They're his biggest fan. And also, Katamari Damashi might be a video game in that world also. <laughs> so people will be like, you'll, you walk around this little area, this little hub world, and you talk to people and they're like, I love Katamari Damashi so much. Can you make me a Katamari? And so the the game is based, it's like this weird meta, like people are aware and that's the framing device. And so like sometimes you'll have weirder requests that are like, I love candy. Can you make the biggest Katamari you can and get the most candy possible? And it's like, yeah, okay, why not? And then every level, and I think it was like this in Damashi too, there are um, other little guys you can catch that you'll just like find roaming the level and they're the prince's cousins and then you can play as any of the other cousins and they all just look like the like variations on a theme of like tiny guy with a funny shaped head and funny color scheme and it's it's wonderful. I love it so, so much. The soundtrack is incredible. The, oh, I love the, con- the soundtrack. Oh my god, the controls are so tight. Like, it is so, so much fun. And, like, I'm playing the PS2 one. I'm sure it looks great on Switch and what other console the yeah. We Love Katamari re-roll is on. Definitely, like, definitely a great game for handheld. Oh my god, yeah. But I, I'm yeah. just having so much fun with it. It's so cute. It's so much fun. I read that, like... um. Kita Takahashi like originally did not want to make a sequel to Katamari like he he has always been and you get this oh, really? flavor through his other games like uh, Nobi Nobi Boy and um, some of the other games he's worked on that like he really likes like a single idea and likes to build like a toy like experience around that idea and then move I on see. but like Damashi was so that. fucking popular that yeah. Namco was like, please, for the love of God, make another game. And they ended up making like three or four of them. You know, like there's there's two on the PS2. There's a PS3 one. There was a PSP exclusive one. And I, I think beyond that, it's just been remakes and stuff. But like 
yeah the people love these games and i'm absolutely people like they are so so much fun and so cute can i say um, something funny is please. uh because jesse likes katamari and we both love the music mm-hmm. jesse found a playlist on spotify that's like katamari core it's called something like that and it's just a bunch of like <laughs> beep, beep beep like a fun upbeat sort of like japanese pop songs and it just like fits the vibe and we were listening to the katamari core playlist while driving around a couple weeks ago i love that i uh the most recent level that i did in katamari is i talked to this race car driver who showed up on the world map area like in his race car and you talk to him and he's like i'm an f1 driver and i love katamari damashi i tried to make a katamari while i was driving my race car but it didn't work can you make a katamari and so the, this level puts you on a racetrack and you are moving 10 that. times faster than you have ever oh moved at any other level of this game. And like you're auto moving forward. So it's really hard to like turn around the way you normally would be able to. And you start out the size of like a teeny tiny little thing. So you're picking up like uh, balloons and st- crap that was left on the track. And then eventually you're picking up tires and eventually you're picking up like uh maybe maybe like a really tiny little buggy that like a bug is driving or something like that and eventually you're big enough that you're rolling up the other racers and then after that you're big enough where you're rolling up like the bleachers that the people are sitting in the stands watching the the race on like it is the way that the game is like and, and for people who are less aware of this series i probably should have explained like the core loop um you start as very very tiny generally maybe you'll start on like a dining room table and you're rolling up like candy wrappers and push pins and safety pins and all that and playing cards and you get bigger and bigger and bigger to eventually and this simplifies it a lot but eventually you're rolling up like people and buildings and cars and it does a really phenomenal job of like making a level space that is so interesting that it's interesting very early on and it's still interesting when you're looking at it from this like huge view this bird's eye view and like there's so many little like weird charming characters in the background like I did this one water level where I was rolling up a bunch of fish and there was just like a black cat with a scuba diving gear on like a little scuba mask on underwater it was like what do you or like another level where you had to roll up origami cranes and you went into this one room and there was like an actual bird the crane sit standing at a microphone as if it was singing like it's just so the game rewards it really really rewards you like taking your time to look around these environments even though you're on a time limit you know so it's they're phenomenal i love them so much so that's been my like uh comfort game this past week has been we love that's like so much fun oh um, i love it Oh, another thing we've been doing is uh, trying to watch Studio Ghibli movies that we haven't watched. Oh, cool. Because we have watched like the big ones, like Kiki's Delivery Service, Spirited Away, Totoro, Princess Mononoke, Ponyo, etc. But there's like, we have a box set, a DVD box set of like selected Hayao Miyazaki movies. But there's some that aren't in there, like... Like, Tales of the Earthsea isn't in there. Um, Like, Meet the Yamadas isn't in there. That sort of thing. If you have Mm -hmm. um, HBO Max or Max, they have Mm -hmm. a whole Studio Ghibli, like, section, and it's basically all of them. So I've been going through ones that, like, I've never seen. So we just watched Porco Rosso. Um, 
great film. I was kind of surprised. He's like a womanizing pig dude. I was like, this is a Ghibli character who like canonically fucks. I love Porco Rosso. It's awesome. Yeah. I loved it. It was so good. Um, Jesse wants to be Porco Rosso for Halloween. That scene (laughs) in Porco Rosso when he's like in the movie theater talking with the the military guy, since the backdrop of that movie is like fascist Italy. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, I may be a pig, but I'm not a fascist. I yeah, was like, or he's oh, like, I'd base. rather be a pig than a fascist. That that was like peak. That that did the rounds on Tumblr back in the day when I was on there. Like that. Oh yeah. That those two scenes with that text on it was on my Tumblr dashboard like every 15 minutes. Like that is uh, that is like core Tumblr memory for me. And it's also just it goes hard as fuck. Yeah. Um, it, it was good. I love that uh, the woman who he's like in love with, who has had all these like dead pilot husbands. She's voiced by Susan Egan, who voices Rose Quartz and Steven Universe and Megara and Hercules. <laughs> That's cool. She also she also played Belle in the Broadway production of Beauty and the Beast, which is how I know her voice. I see. She has I a see. very distinctive voice. So as soon as I heard her, I was like, oh fuck yes, Susan Egan. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it was fun. We are now watching Palm Poco. Mm. Have you seen that one? No, but this is the one with like the the little guys, and they have like huge testicles, right? <laughs> yes, they are raccoons. They're shape shifting raccoons. Okay. But oh yeah, wait, they, are they, they are they Tanuki? I feel like they might be Tanuki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their whole vibe is like they're super lazy and they drink a lot. They just like they're they're just like functionally like a frat house kind of vibe all these raccoons Mm -hmm. and at one point the humans start developing their habitat and so okay they're like okay we we gotta get serious we gotta rise up and they start doing like honestly they start like fucking killing people bro it's crazy Like that as the con- as the construction trucks are like driving up the mountain like into their habitat, they start like shape shifting into mudslides and like distracting the driver so they drive off the mountain. Oh my god! And like drive off the cliff. And so this I got to the much... point. No, no, god, sorry. I got to the point where like the elders of the community has have gathered them. They're like, we have our actions to protect our home has like led to the loss of human life, and we need to like feel accountable for that. Like there's blood on our hands. Mm-hmm. And the Tanuki are like, let's fucking go. And they're like drinking beer and partying. So it's great. That sounds so much more like Princess Mononoke than I think I was expecting it to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just funny Princess Mononoke. Huh. That's cool. That's very good so, to know. I haven't yeah. seen that one. Huh. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's about it. That's anything it. else? Anything else? Or should we, uh, should we close things up? I think we should close things up. All right. Um, where can people find you on the internet, Tori? You can find me... Uh, on on the broken x site at tori underscore as underscore always i'm sad they're getting rid of twitter circles by the way i I was a fan of those i saw a tweet that was like you should just assume that anything you've ever posted in a twitter circle is about to become public like you should absolutely just assume that Um, i just love like the the close friends feature of instagram stories i do too yeah i do too like yeah those are always fun i feel like i'm in a special club I think uh, we talk a lot of shit about Twitter, but I don't know about you. The minute they ask me for my credit card information to open up that website, it's over. Oh, yeah. I'm it's, out. Over. It, That's, it's over. Yeah, it's I've so over. I've talked a lot of shit about, like, well, maybe this is the final straw for me on this website. But, like, the minute they try to get me to give them money for that shit, I'm, I'm dropping it like a hot potato. I am out immediately. <laughs> um, 
in the meantime, though, I'm still on Twitter, Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S. The podcast is on Twitter at press underscore start pod, and we're on Tumblr at press hyphen start pod. You can email us. We want to see your video game five by fives or your opinion on uh, video games that exude fall. Hey, press start at gmail.com, or you can bug us through our other social media channels. Our show art is by the artist Kai at Wisp Graphics, and our opener and closer music is from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. You know what? I think that about does it. Anything that else? That does it. Um, I don't know. I don't have any other messages. No other messages. <laughs> no other messages. You see, I'm like, oh, go do this or go do that, but I don't really have any this week. What do you think? Um... I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it counts as a message, but I, I just want to share that I recently stumbled across some other DS games that I like used to own, and I found an old copy of Crosswords DS, which is literally just like one of those books of crossword puzzles that you buy at like a gas station, but on your Nintendo DS. So I'm fully planning on charging my DS Lite and uh, rocking some crossword puzzles later today. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's a good one. That's a good one. Do do a crossword. Go to a crossword puzzle. Yeah, go to a crossword puzzle. And thank you for listening. Bye.